When you think about sex and intimacy within marriage, it's not something that is typically talked about. And when I ponder the professionals who I would even feel comfortable talking to about it, maybe a sex therapist, which is kind of rare and hard to find, or your OBGYN. And so today, Dr. Christopher Stroud is back on the podcast. He is an incredible doctor and had so much wisdom, as you've heard in previous episodes, about all things women's health. And today, we are talking about sex and intimacy. We're talking about the physical connection within the marriage relationship, libido, different seasons of life, how that's impacted. And I can't wait for you to hear from Dr. Stroud. Are you in a season where you're longing for more, desiring inner peace, hoping for more authenticity in relationships? Perhaps you're feeling unsettled inside, like you know that God is calling you deeper, higher, and further than you've ever gone before. You are ready for change and it's time for something to shift. But what is it? What's been missing? My name is Amber Todd, I am a Christian counselor, and I believe that you were never meant to live a disconnected, segmented life. You were created for connection, deep, authentic, healing connection. First, within yourself, because your mental, physical, and spiritual health is interconnected. This is why I love collaborating with doctors and like-minded holistic practitioners who honor God's design for our whole being to function and operate in harmony. Life Interconnected Podcast is an intentional space you can come to every week to receive encouragement, hope, and a fresh perspective on your internal world so that you better understand your thoughts and emotions and how to live a connected life. Join this movement of mindful believers who desire to grow in our faith and cultivate a holistic approach to health and wellness. Subscribe to the podcast today and share it with your friends. Welcome to Life Interconnected. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Shroud. Oh, yeah, thank you. It's nice to be here. <laughs> yes, thank you for being here with us and for sharing your wisdom, not only as an OBGYN, but also a father, a grandfather, and someone who has walked with many couples through many different seasons of life. Yeah, it's been almost 30 years of walking. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's yeah. a long time. Yes, and because it's been so long, I'd love for listeners who don't know much about you just to hear mm. a little bit about your background and what led you to be an OBGYN. Yeah, you know, it's been so long, in all honesty, I don't exactly remember what led me to be an OBGYN. I remember thinking I wanted to be a urologist. Mm. And then I remember coming to the realization that would mean that most of my patients would be men. And that seemed just horrible. (laughs) (laughs) So I moved on from urology. But OBGYN, in many ways, is like the specialty of urology, uh, just focusing on women. Um, But I probably did what a lot of medical students do. I kind of of fell in love with a role model in medical Mm -hmm. school. Mm -hmm. Dr. Patrick Duff was his name. And I I was just overtaken by what I thought was his greatness. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be him. I wanted to dress like him and talk like him. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to have that kind of impact on people. And that ended up drawing me to OBGYN. And then I practiced what you might think of as traditional OBGYN for many, many years. And um, uh, some of the listeners may have heard me talk on other publications and podcasts about sort of having a conversion to to practicing in a different way that was much more 
recognizing the practice of medicine maybe as a vocation and not mm-hmm. just uh, not just a job at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. But it has been a it's been a wonderful uh, almost three decades of uh, of medical practice that I would have never in a million years dreamed when I graduated medical school in 1991. Mm-hmm. that this is what God had in store. So it's been a fun journey, and mm-hmm. uh, I feel privileged to have been part of it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and when you when you talk about that, how your faith impacted this feeling of it being truly a vocation, how, how does your faith shape and change how you approach medicine and patients in general? Yeah, well, I, and I come from the unusual perspective of starting it without any faith basis. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I really, for the first many years of my practice, I really didn't come at my practice from from a position uh, of faith. Um, like like so many people that we know, um, that my faith life is something maybe I did on Sunday, but not on Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was much, much later in practice and in life. But now I would say simplistically my faith affects every single aspect of my both professional Mm -hmm. and personal life. And what's probably most different about the me today that's sitting here with you and the me of years ago is when when I'm talking with couples, particularly about fertility and, and similar challenges, I feel like I'm actually... I'm actually practicing a vocation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to, I, I hate to say evangelize or, or minister because that conjures up so many terms and images yeah. that maybe we don't like. But in reality, I'm trying to say, God, use me because I don't have the answers. Yeah. Uh, so maybe you could use me to get get this couple the answers. Yeah. And I've heard you speak about that, you know, in the, obviously you walk with women and couples through many different seasons of fertility or pregnancy, postpartum. And I've heard you talk before about how you view your role and how you view God's role. And I'm just curious to hear you to share what that means to you. Yeah, it amazes me so frequently that um, something will happen and I'll think, I really had nothing to do with that. I'm not even sure I was present. Then I realized, (laughs) well, I I really was physically present, but... um, I think maybe in my in my older years i've I've learned that the more you can get out of the way, the easier it is mm-hmm. for God to do great things. Hmm. But often you have to get out of the way. Hmm. Uh, and then sometimes you have to help the person you're trying to help get out of the way. Yeah, uh, we do have a, a tendency, I think, as humans, to sort of get in the way of the divine plan. Mm-hmm. And sometimes if we can just get out of the way, remarkable things can happen in people's lives. Mm -hmm. And so I think I probably recognize that a lot more now than I did earlier uh, in my career. Mm -hmm. And obviously as a doctor, you're focusing on physical medicine and fertility medicine. But I also, knowing you and the way we've collaborated, we both have this understanding of, you know, mental health, emotional health, spiritual health, impacting physical medicine. So I'd love to just hear just in general, how do you see the mind-body-spirit connection between what you do. Yeah, I think to not recognize that connection is to fail. Mm. Um, you, you just can't pretend that there isn't that connection. I mean, I just think, uh, as you ask that question simplistically, um, in women's fertility cycles, we can look at their, their charting of their fertile cycles 
and recognize something big is going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, just in their cervical mucus pattern, you might think, mm-hmm. what does cervical mucus pattern have to do with my, you know, my spiritual condition? <laughs> um, but it does, and to pretend that it doesn't is to just be dead wrong. Hmm. And I can look at a woman's fertility chart. We use the Creighton fertility model, where she's charting a mucus pattern, and say, "What's going on?" Oh, well, you know, my husband lost his job. My mother-in-law moved in. Hmm. You know, uh, I can't stand my new boss. You can see that there's something dramatic happening. Hmm in the woman's fertile cycle. So even at that very simplistic level, mm-hmm. we cannot ignore that those things are connected. We're not just physical entities. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's much, much more to us than that. Mm-hmm. So are there times when you're supporting a woman or couple in their fertility or their um, physical health needs, and you recognize that there's a missing piece and it's that they need emotional help or they mm. need help with anxiety? Oh, certainly. I would say routinely. Mm -hmm. Um, Where I thought you might be going with that. I also come across times where I struggle to say to the couple, but effectively, have you considered that maybe this isn't the right time? Hmm. Have you considered maybe there's something bigger at play here that's in the way of your fertility Mm -hmm. that you really need to get worked out? You need to see my friend Amber Todd uh, (laughs) before you see me because you've got some things that are in the way. Yeah, um, I think of couples that I've seen through the years where they were struggling to use natural family planning to avoid pregnancy, and they were struggling with it. They were so motivated to not be pregnant, and they were having these problems, and they were having trouble. They wanted to use NFP. They didn't want to use artificial means, and they were really struggling, and that struggle was turning into extended periods of abstinence. Mm-hmm. because they did not want to be pregnant. And, you know, I found myself finally getting the courage sometimes to say, have you thought about just getting out of the way and saying, maybe maybe we should be pregnant, maybe that's the problem. Mm-hmm. And I think without exception, I've seen those couples, they do become pregnant, and they're thrilled with it. Mm-hmm. And they realize they were in the way. Mm-hmm. You know, they were trying to be so in charge and mm-hmm. so micromanage their fertility that they were actually harming themselves. Mm. Um, but that comes to mind as I think about that question. Yeah. So when you think about marital health and intimacy, as you're saying, like sex and intimacy being a key part of how a couple connects, mm. you've seen couples through many different seasons and observed sort of the ins and outs of how that affects their marital relationship. Mm. So I'm just curious to hear some observations that that general observations that you see when a couple is really connected mentally, physically and spiritually, you know, how do you experience them in the room versus someone who's disconnected in some of those ways? Yeah, I, you know, couples that talk to me about fertility for the most part never ever imagined that they would be talking to me about fertility mm-hmm. right how many couples you know on the eve of their wedding say well when we have trouble with fertility mm-hmm. we'll do this and we'll do this no mm-hmm. one thinks that way mm-hmm. no one plans for that to be part of their you know their journey and so it, it is it is pretty interesting to see how different couples respond to that that mm-hmm. insult or challenge if you will um, sometimes I'll see an incredible closeness mm-hmm. and that even in a couple that maybe is relatively newly married, mm-hmm. you can just tell they came to this challenge equipped, mm-hmm. you know, they were ready. And, mm-hmm. and I would argue that 
few other challenges in marriage are as devastating as a fertility challenge, whether mm-hmm. it's the inability to conceive or recurrent pregnancy loss, recurrent miscarriage. Mm-hmm. Um, it just doesn't get uglier than that. Mm-hmm. And so to see couples that are clearly taking that on and, mm-hmm. and doing well, it's, it's an amazing thing to see. Right. But you can see a closeness. Mm-hmm. You know, you can see the husband being supportive in, in his language uh, and his body movement and his posture. Mm-hmm. You can tell that they feel connected, that they're in this together, so mm-hmm. to speak. And I'll get a sense that they're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Now, sadly, I'll see the opposite as well, mm-hmm. where, you know, there are two chairs in front of my desk and I can literally see from one appointment to the next to the next the space between them increasing. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a gap between mm-hmm. the two, and they're maybe not on the same page. Maybe they're not on the same page about what thing, <clears throat> excuse me, what things would be acceptable mm-hmm. to do for fertility, and what things would not be acceptable. And and that lack of oneness is is becoming an increasing problem with every visit. Yeah. Um, and that's disheartening to see, but it is such a stark comparison to see the healthy and maybe the unhealthy play out like that. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine the oneness isn't just to do with the Creighton chart. You know, there's a place where you can indicate the frequency of sex. Sure. But it's also the emotional level of connection and how safe they feel with one another, whether sex feels like a performance or... Yeah. You know, how does that impact the their their emotional connection impact? Yeah, you know, I think of a funny story, uh, and I'll I'll change the scenario. So if a, <laughs> if a listener it was them, I won't be in trouble. But it, it was two very high powered people, mm-hmm. uh, ve- you know, very type A, very successful professionals, and the husband, in a moment of vulnerability, said, "Well, you know, when we get to the fertile window, I find that my." Um, how did he say it? I think he said, I find that my heart's just not in it. Mm. And without even hesitating and without any change in expression, the wife said, well, it's not your heart that I'm interested in. Mm. Hmm. And I remember thinking, well, we could quite literally cut the air here with a knife. Mm-hmm. There is a terrible disconnect here. Yeah. Uh, you know, in this case, she's forgotten, despite yeah. the stereotypes of men and women, she's forgotten why we're here and mm-hmm. has gotten pathologically task oriented. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's being vulnerable, which we don't always see that with men. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's an example of how the disconnect can be so horrible. Yeah. You mentioned the chart and annotations about intimate activity. Another another flag that I'll see is there's intimate activity around the fertile window, mm-hmm. and there's no intimate activity outside of the fertile window. Yeah. And to me, that's a sign of stress mm-hmm. and that this has become a task-oriented behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, Which makes sense because I think when a couple's engaging in sex and intimacy for just one reason yeah. or for one purpose – then it's sort of like we're missing out on the larger picture of God's design for sex. And I think to your point, it's not just about the physical act, but yeah. you know, as that husband was expressing the emotional connection between a husband and wife, mentally feeling engaged and on the same page, spiritually being mm. united, all of that to me is a beautiful expression of God's intention yeah. for sex. And it seems like if a couple is engaging in just one aspect of either mind, body, spirit connection, that they're really missing out on the fullness of what it could be. Yeah, there's no symmetry there. Yeah. Um, and and not only are they missing out on, I guess we would say, the total goodness 
that's available, that connection that's available, the various parts will suffer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they're missing out on the total good, but they're also missing out on the individual good because yeah. those pieces are all going to suffer without mm-hmm. attention to all of them. It's true because I would say the opposite. Like if a couple could be really emotionally connected, but maybe they have no physical intimacy. Mm. Um, depending on the partner's needs and how they're communicating that, that can also be disruptive to the relationship. Right. Or maybe they're very spiritual, and we've talked you know, previously in a conversation about you know, couples especially who grow up in the church or who grow up with yeah. this rigid idea of sex is bad, you know, don't don't think about it, don't talk about it until your wedding day, and then all of a sudden <laughs> there's supposed to be a switch. Right. Like there's something like there's an emotional attachment to sex being bad or shame being around our bodies mm. that does it just change at the wedding night? <laughs> you know, I think some couples and, and you're the expert in this area, probably it does. The switch just flips and everything is fine. Yeah. Uh, but we don't talk to them usually. Mm-hmm. But there are plenty of couples, the switch just doesn't flip. Mm-hmm. And it, it ends up being a problem. And interestingly, if you told me decades ago that often the most common challenge to fertility is man and woman coming together in the marital embrace at the right time, mm-hmm. that that would be the most common challenge? I would say, no, no, no. It's it's going to be endometriosis or some kind of organic disease. Mm. More often than not, what I find is it's life. It's work mm-hmm. and, and maybe other children and travel and family stressors and mm-hmm. trying to take care of parents maybe that need care or siblings that need help. And all yeah. of these things get in the way. And as a result, intimacy suffers. Mm-hmm. And if pregnancy is a desire, when intimacy suffers, pregnancy loses. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. it's much easier for me to fix an organic medical problem than it is for me to fix that challenge. That's Mm. where I need your expertise. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, both go hand in hand Mm. because I think, you know, obviously for the goal of fertility and and becoming pregnant is just one aspect of it. But don't we also want a married couple to feel connected and to feel close? Because we've also discussed through pregnancy and postpartum how that impacts the relationship. Mm. And if you have a shaky relationship going through that and you're disconnected emotionally, even if you achieve pregnancy, there can be challenges in your relationship. Yeah. Well, I think you and I are, are hopefully going to be able to uh, talk several times about several what we might say are seasons of married life Mm -hmm. and we're talking about fertility that is clearly a season yeah um and that season ends at some Mm -hmm. point naturally Mm -hmm. it it goes away but there are a lot of other seasons each of which have their own challenge Mm -hmm. but i think arguably intimacy in its truest sense is part of every one of those seasons yeah it just takes on a different role and maybe a different look, mm-hmm. but yet it's always there. Yeah. Well, that that leads me to think about, let's talk about the season of pregnancy. Mm-hmm. You know, once pregnancy is achieved and then you're going through those, you know, nine, ten months, um, <laughs> what what observations do you make as you're, as you're working with couples and sort of, especially, let's speak to females who have mm-hmm. a difficult pregnancy, yeah. you know, how her body changes, how that impacts the relationship? Yeah, I mean, even in the most simplistic form, you know, um, a a part of a woman's body that has been so readily identified by the world Mm -hmm. as a source of physical or visual pleasure, their Mm -hmm. breast, suddenly becomes a food source for this new member of the family. (laughs) There's no way to think about that other than just bizarre, isn't Mm -hmm. it? Mm -hmm. And so that can create all sorts of complicated emotions. 
um, you know, some of them funny and comical, mm-hmm. some of them not so funny, but but really basic body image challenges can affect intimacy in those early postpartum mm-hmm. months. Um, and then, you know, I think the thing that most people would, would list, but yet it's hard to fully appreciate, is the effects of fatigue. Mm-hmm. Absolute you know, destruction of, mm-hmm. of, uh, of some of the processes that worked great before the pregnancy that are so affected by fatigue. Mm-hmm. You know, as I look back to my wife and I, the first decade of marriage and, and, um, and parenting, it's just a big blur now mm-hmm. because we were sleep deprived for about mm-hmm. a decade mm-hmm. in one way or another. Um, and if one of us wasn't at the moment, the other one was. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think most young couples are prepared for that challenge yeah. that uh, that postpartum period is physically very tough mm-hmm. and I think it's fair to say in many cases men and women react to that challenge differently mm-hmm. with respect to intimacy mm-hmm. um, whereas women are not necessarily always able to focus on one area because the other area is struggling. Whereas yeah. men sometimes are very good at, at mm-hmm. focusing maybe just on one aspect of the relationship. And for both uh, both man and woman to understand that this is a crazy time. Yeah, I like to say it's important to remember, though, it's the weather and it's not the mm-hmm. climate. Mm-hmm. This is a very temporary phase, right. depending on how many children and how close together mm-hmm. they are. But uh, every couple has to go through it. But it is temporary, and so it's definitely a time to call um, to call for patience mm-hmm. <laughs> because mm-hmm. it just takes some time. Yeah, and there are so you're speaking to the physical demands mm. of pregnancy and postpartum and fatigue, but then there's that magical six week appointment when everything's just supposed to go back to normal, right? Right. But I can speak, you know, as a mom of four mm-hmm. and delivering four babies and see my body change four times, like. Can I love for you to just share for women who feels like feel like their bodies have changed or or they don't know what the new normal is. Like mm. how does a couple what does a couple need to keep in mind at that six week visit and beyond with the physical changes that happen after birth? Yeah. That's a that's an interesting question. It seems like there's just almost an unlimited number of uh of, of topics built into that you yeah. know, into that one question. But you know, I think um I think it's important for women to understand this is temporary. Mm-hmm. At the same time, mm-hmm. it seems appropriate and important to acknowledge it is true that your body is not the same mm-hmm. after you've had a children. It's not the same after four as mm-hmm. it was after three. Mm-hmm. And and that's, an, that's a good thing. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Now, the world would, would say otherwise. Mm-hmm. And I think um, a lot of women are harmed by sort of the movie star phenomenon where we see her pregnant, she disappears for a while and, <laughs> and comes back in a bikini that that most people would not have worn when they've mm-hmm. never had children. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that sort of sets up this unmeetable expectation, which yeah. isn't very natural. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a problem because we should embrace that. Yes, your, your body is different. Your life is different. It's better. Mm-hmm. Um, after after having a child, but it's not going to be the same, right? And that's okay. Um, but that takes some patience and some mm-hmm. understanding. But it's also not what it's going to be at the six week mark. Mm-hmm. You're not through changing. Yeah. Uh, it's going to change. I don't want to say better because that adds a judgment. But it's not through changing and recovering. Yeah, and getting back to the new normal, not the the pre-childbirth normal, but right. the new normal. Right. That takes a little time. 
Because it makes me wonder with recovery, depending on if she had tearing or pelvic floor issues. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's. I'm assuming, as you're saying, it's not six weeks, more like six months at least, yes. where her body's adjusting. And, and it takes time. And, you know, for men, I think it's really important to remember that in many cases, the way that your wife feels about intimacy is much more impacted by her own sense of body image Mm-hmm. than what she thinks about your body image, yeah. right? Yeah. If she is feeling particularly vulnerable, maybe a little unattractive because of these changes and trying to get her brain wrapped around these changes, mm-hmm. um, that's going to impact the way intimacy um, appeals or doesn't appeal to her. Mm-hmm. And we've got to recognize that, call it out, talk about it for what it is, Yeah. But respect and recognize that. Right. And I think appreciating the sacredness of what your body did. Mm. You know, I I took time after each birth to really, you know, almost once we were settled with baby home for a few days, just take a bubble bath and really (laughs) appreciate like what my body just went through. What just happened. Yeah, because our bodies are amazing, the way God designed our bodies. And that, as you said, there shouldn't be this pressure expectation that it's just going to be back to what it was. Can I honor my body for what it's done, what it's been through, and appreciate this new normal. And even I want to encourage spouses, husbands, to to get to know their wife's body in a different way, mm. right? It's almost that adjustment period of, okay, this is like we're resetting in some ways. <laughs> and if we go in with expectations of what it was before or that things that worked before will be the same, then there might be a lot of disappointment or frustration. Mm. But as you said, she has to go through a period, one, of accepting her own body yeah. and being used to the changes and the stretch marks and the pain or <laughs> yeah. you know, the pelvic floor pressure, all those things. Like It takes time to tend to and to recover. And I think if, if husbands are willing to be patient and willing to be curious mm-hmm. instead of judgmental or feel offended, there's much more likely to be unity and marital intimacy mm. moving forward. Yeah, that's that's really well said, and and I, I just feel like most couples are not prepared for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just don't get that kind of information. You sort of react mm-hmm. uh, to whatever comes up. Yeah. And certainly, I, I know you see this as a counselor, some couples do just fine without ever having to talk through that and think mm-hmm. about it. But mm-hmm. many couples do not and, mm-hmm. could, and could use the help of having a little bit of insightful understanding there. Yeah. I think in general, something I talk to a lot of couples about is approaching each other Rather than judgment, rather than offense, we need to approach each other with curiosity and compassion. So especially when it comes to marital intimacy, one of the most vulnerable areas of a marriage, can we become curious? Like if that, if what worked before doesn't work anymore, or if this is painful, or if there's disappointment or frustration, let's become curious, uh-huh. you know? And I think in, especially at that six week mark, if a husband make, draws big conclusions or puts pressure mm. On, on his wife, it can lead to more emotional shutdown. But it's not just in the postpartum. If we talk about the next season of having young kids or even having a growing family, sure. um, that there's a big change there too, because then you're even talking about, you know, as you said, preparing for potentially future pregnancies and right. adjusting to life as a family. Um, how do you think that, that in-between season impacts a relationship with yeah, it really varies. Um, I mean, if, a, a lot of times I think it varies on the couple's desire to achieve or to avoid pregnancy in the moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That can get that can get logistically very challenging. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for in my practice, most of the couples are using a form of natural family planning, mm-hmm. 
which can be very complicated. Mm-hmm. You know, um, when the couple agrees, this is not the time to be pregnant again, mm-hmm. and one of them makes <laughs> overtures to the other, mm-hmm. there's this, wait a minute, I thought we agreed. Mm-hmm. Well, that agreement meant abstinence, at least for the, for the immediate mm-hmm. term. Well, that's a challenge that's got to mm-hmm. be talked about mm-hmm. uh, openly, with transparency, with some respect and some curiosity, as you point out. Mm-hmm. But they're challenging times. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in that unique set of people that are trying to use natural family planning. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's difficult, too. I know you see this in your in your counseling patients. If you think about sort of your life clock, you might say, mm-hmm. as these seasons change, there's a lot going on that that has a part to play. Mm-hmm. You know, typically by the time a young couple is having their second child, something may be going on in either or both of their careers. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're getting a little further along in their work life and work is a little more demanding. Or they're trying to make some important decisions about their career. Mm-hmm. And those decisions are going to impact is someone staying home with the children uh, yeah. it, or not? And if not, mm-hmm. what does that mean? And mm-hmm. if someone chooses to stay home, what are the economic implications for the family with less mm-hmm. money? Is there resentment? Is there self-loathing? Because yeah. now I don't contribute if I'm staying home. Mm-hmm. So many complicated emotions mm-hmm. that uh, we desperately need people like you <laughs> to help us deal with. But they have physical you know, ramifications yeah. from a fertility standpoint, from a stress, from a health, uh, from, from a sleep health. So many implications of all of those little you know, decisions that are happening on yeah. a regular basis. It's daunting just to think about. Right. Because sometimes it's not just a physical issue. And if we just dra- take what you just said and, and make that parallel into libido and how mm. couples experience sex drive before and after having babies, what, what, what would be your insight or encouragement to couples who feel like they're in the postpartum season or have young kids and neither mm. one of them or one, one partner is struggling with libido? Yeah, I don't think there's a more complicated human emotion than libido, mm-hmm. right? And more poorly understood. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, spoiler alert: I think it has probably very little to do with hormones. Yeah, you know, because we'll see, you know, women uh, later in their life who maybe have zero estrogen, they're postmenopausal, mm-hmm. with what most people would say is a is a pretty healthy libido. Mm-hmm. And then I'll see very young women whose hormones are very, you know, normal off the chart who struggle with libido, mm. suggesting and I think affirming that it is a very complicated mm-hmm. human emotion. Um, but you know, to your point, it's a it's a call for patience. Mm-hmm. You know, what's now is not forever, it's just now. Yeah. And I think a lot of times what is misunderstood is when people say libido, what they really are trying to describe is a desire for closeness. Mm-hmm. But it, without a vocabulary and without some practice with some skills that yeah. I know you help couples come by, it's really difficult to communicate that. Yeah. And a woman will say to me, well, I'm struggling with a lack of libido. And, and what she's probably really saying is, uh, I'm sleep deprived. I don't like the way my body looks. Mm-hmm. And I don't think my husband likes the way my body looks either. Hmm. And as a result, she has no interest in physical intimacy. That's not very hard to understand, is it? Right. <laughs> it is complicated. And hearing you say that, because when I think of most women, if they're struggling with sex drive or any type of libido issue, I would think, well, who could I ask about this? Who would I want to talk to about this? It would be my OB, right? <laughs> right. Which is you. Yeah. But you're saying it's a lot more complicated. 
way complicated. Like, yes. And I would, I would argue more often than not, instead of talking to me about it, people should be talking to you about it. Yeah. <laughs> because it is such a complicated emotion. Mm-hmm. And it, it is rarely a physiologic phenomenon. Mm-hmm. It's more of the mind and the spirit than it is the body. Interesting. Um, and um, it requires patience. It requires vulnerability and transparency. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if you think about it, intimacy really is nothing more than maybe what you would call planned vulnerability Hmm. (laughs) Uh, you know you're 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 literally opening yourself up Mm -hmm. in the most vulnerable way Mm -hmm. that takes a lot of confidence yeah and if either of you are struggling in that moment it's not going to work right and you're it's so true i mean i think intimacy and a sexual relationship in a marriage is a reflection of the level of comfort and vulnerability Mm. Um, and, I, and technically, a couple could be intimate, but be emotionally disconnected. Sure. So it is a complicated issue, and I and and what comes to my mind too is seeing couples who've struggled, either had a previous complicated history with other partners, mm. um, or some type of trauma. You know, we carry a lot of baggage into the sure. marriage around this area, and so libido, I don't think, can be separated. I think it is an interconnected experience, and. So the, I think encouragement to listeners as we're processing from our two perspectives is that it's not just a physical issue. There's right. a mental and emotional component. And I think that's really you know the goal in the conversation today is for our listeners to understand this bird's eye view of how we approach marital health, uh, fertility, intimacy, and understanding that in these different seasons of life, we need to be aware of mental, physical, and spiritual health and how it impacts our areas of marriage. So would you have just any final encouragement to listeners about this um, <laughs> this topic and anything you want to leave them with? Yeah, you know, I think um, more as an, as an old husband <laughs> than <laughs> as a physician, I would say to couples, you know, have you, have you really asked yourself in an honest way, what kind of a marriage do you want to have? Mm-hmm. Um, they're not all the same. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think about the times that that in public I look around and I see maybe an older couple or even a younger couple, and I think I just see goodness and strength between them. Mm-hmm. It's just visible. Mm-hmm. It's invisible and yet visible at the same time. Mm-hmm. Do you want to be one of those couples? Do, do you want to have that kind of marriage? Do you want a marriage that is is based on... Um, on a spiritual sort of approach and a sacramental marriage, I might say. Mm-hmm. Or is that not important to you? Hopefully you work that out with your now or soon-to-be spouse before you became their spouse because you'd want to be on the same page there. Mm-hmm. Um, but what kind of marriage do you want to have? And if you want to have the kind of marriage that you're describing that mm-hmm. that really reflects a connection at the, the physical, the mental, and the spiritual levels, mm-hmm. if you want that kind of great marriage it's worth working for Mm -hmm. and like most things that are great it's going to take some work Mm -hmm. and it may not come easily Mm -hmm. and it may not happen in this moment yeah it may take a series of moments and some work but the potential payoff Mm -hmm. is so wonderful yeah it's worth the effort Mm -hmm. it's worth making yourself a little vulnerable Mm -hmm. because the payoff can be tremendous yes and I think having a growth mindset around this idea of 
marital intimacy is key because maybe some of you are listening today feeling like you either have a good sex life or a bad sex life. And if you've drawn that conclusion, it can feel pretty hopeless going into your future with your spouse. And my encouragement to you is that if you are committed to one another, if you're committed to Christ, if you both want to Mm. grow and improve this area of your marriage, it's absolutely possible. It just takes intention. And that might mean seeking out counseling. It might mean having even honest conversations with another trusted couple who you can be vulnerable with and and be able to process things, um, maybe getting physical support if there's um, you know hormone issues or other things going on. But it is, as we've talked about, such an important idea that you understand all three facets of mm. this area of intimacy. And, and I've seen couples make major shifts in growth because they were willing to show up and they were willing to do this hard work and to be committed to growing together. And I think for Nate and I, that's been such a key part of our marriage is having these pillar foundational times throughout the day and the week that we are coming together as husband and wife and having these important conversations Mm. and being able to stay emotionally connected because I think that is such a foundation to being physically and spiritually connected. Yeah, if you get the physical and the spiritual part right, I tend to think the physical is just going to fall into place. Mm -hmm. But arguably, it could be really tough. Mm-hmm. If there's a physical challenge, if you're not connected on the other levels, mm-hmm. how are you ever going to make that right? Right. Uh, it's going to be a challenge. And I would say in the reverse, if a couple's, their primary modality of connection is physical, but mm-hmm. there's very little emotional or spiritual connection, then typically there's probably emotional guardedness and walls built up for some reason, if mm-hmm. that's the primary mode of connecting. Right. So I think just sort of taking a step back, a bird's eye view of looking at the marriage and the relationship and having an honest conversation with your spouse where are we at you know what's working what's not and how can we grow together in being able to meet the things that we both desire yeah because there's a reality not to sound you know not to sound too doomsdayish but your marriage is going to be wrought with challenges mm-hmm. um, if you just think about it you're going to deal with maybe the loss of a pregnancy, maybe the inability to conceive mm-hmm. in, in my world, maybe the loss of a child, mm-hmm. uh, the loss of a, a, of a sibling, the loss of a parent, you know, job loss, all of these things. Mm-hmm. It's not a question of will you deal with those, it's when mm-hmm. and in what context. Mm-hmm. So you know a storm is coming, ready yourself mm-hmm. uh, with some skills to, to be able to accept those challenges when they come, because they will. Mm-hmm. And a strong marriage will allow you to weather that storm and come on the, out on the other side better and stronger. Mm-hmm. Uh, but growth growth can be painful, right? Yeah. And sometimes growth is together, and then I see couples in a season where they feel like they're in the w- wilderness. You know, they're both <laughs> each going through their own challenges, and it's it's them and God walking out this season, trusting and knowing that He will bring them together mm. again as they're both like faithful and seeking Him and growing and moving towards Him. When we move towards Christ and marriage, uh, we move towards one another. Things get better. Yeah. Yes. Well, I appreciate you sharing your your wisdom and insight and time with us, Dr. Stroud. I appreciate it. And I look forward to many, many more discussions like this one. Yes. Thank you. Here's a sneak peek for next week's episode. We are going to continue the conversation on the interconnected approach to marriage. And you'll be hearing from a dear friend of mine who is a family and marriage therapist, Laura Bruce. I can't wait to see you next week. Thank you so much for sharing the space with me today. I want you to know that God sees you. You are loved, valued, and important. 
If this podcast helped you, it would mean so much if you could hit subscribe, leave a review, and text or post a screenshot with your friends who can join our mindful movement of believers. Let's live intentionally as God designed life to be interconnected. I'm cheering for you. We are in this together, and I look forward to next time.